0: Good morning church so you don't get dina today you get me (laughs) Um, we are very excited as you can see of starting life groups again we took a short break it seems like it's been forever but we took it was about three four weeks of a break of life groups and we just we love life groups at riverside lisbon because we love the word of god We love that we get to study and get to know the Lord. It's incredible to think that the God of the universe, the God who created all things, the God who is sovereign over all, the God who I can't even conceive how big he is, that he wrote to me (laughs) and that he wrote to you. A few weeks ago, it was my birthday and I received a few few meaningful texts and, and postcards and it was so special. To receive those words from friends and family and to think that my God, my Father has written to me and has written to you. And that's why we're so passionate about the word because it it is a place where where God reveals who he is and he reveals who you were meant to be. He reveals why he created you and what he created you for. And it's a privilege to study and to read his word because the Bible says, so then... Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It is the Word of God that initiates our relationship with Him. And I want to take us right in today. I've spent the last few days meditating and thinking about the life of Peter. I watched, it uh, just happened, it was coincidence, I watched a Chosen episode. How many of you know the Chosen Yes, fans out there of The Chosen, (laughs) I'm a hardcore fan of The Chosen. Every time some friends get together, at some point, the conversation will go to The Chosen. Uh, But it's just a series about the life of Jesus, and I really encourage you to watch it. Just download the app for free and watch it. And so there was this episode about Peter, and I'm crying like a baby, and Ruben's like, do you have a cold? I'm like, no, I'm just crying and watching this episode. Um, But there's two sermons at Riverside Lisbon that I hold on to very dearly. One of them is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I've preached on Resurrection Sunday every year for the past six years since we planted the church. And this year, Reuben gently asked me if I would give up Resurrection Sunday. And so I very sacrificially, which I self-righteously need to share with you now, uh, generously gave Resurrection Sunday to Dina and Pedro and they preached on morning and evening services and we were blessed. Um, I'm a, I'm a good person, but I'm not that good. <laughs> and so I gave up that sermon, but there's another topic that is very dear to me, and it is the life of Peter. And so we've been doing this series called Unqualified at church, and it, would, it ends today, and it culminates in the life of Peter. And so when Reuben even hinted at the fact of me giving up this topic, I was like, no way. <laughs> this is, I'm, I gave up Resurrection Sunday. I'm keeping Peter. <laughs> because I love the story of Peter. I'm so inspired by the story of Peter, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and here is a man who heard the living Word, and faith entered his heart in a way that inspires us and challenges us to live a life beyond the ordinary. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. And, and Peter was busy working. He was doing the thing he knew how to do. He was out fishing. He was providing for his family. He was just living a normal life in the eyes of society. And next thing, Jesus speaks a word. And faith enters Peter's heart, and he drops everything. The Bible says, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Peter is called into relationship and his life would never be the same. If we skip over to Matthew chapter 14, we read one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. That when the disciples find themselves in the middle of the Sea of Galilee again, they're in a storm and the, the, wave, the waves are raging and, and the water is filling the boat and the boat is starting to sink and they're all scared and, and, and next thing they see Jesus walking on water. And Faith comes by hearing the word of God and Jesus says come and at the sound of one word Peter is filled with faith and he steps out of the boat to do the impossible. He walks on water. He steps into the miraculous power of God in obedience to the sound of his word. And so at first he surrenders everything. And then he believes Jesus to do more than he could ever have imagined or conceived was even possible according to the laws of nature. And if we go over to the book of Acts, he dedicates his whole life to preaching and teaching and sharing the word of God, the one who was with God and the one who was God. And in Acts chapter 2, God uses Peter so powerfully to preach the word And faith enters the hearts of more than 3,000 people that day and they enter into a relationship with Jesus and so I love Peter's story because it is so characterized by faith. What a guy. The Peter you see in Matthew chapter 4 compared to Acts chapter 2 is a completely different person. We see a man who is radically transformed over time but here's the key and the main point of my message today. Transformation was never his pursuit. Jesus was. Performance, doing the incredible things, was never his pursuit. Jesus was. See, many people look at the Bible as a manual for self-transformation. Like it's a glorified version of a self-help book. Get this book at a store near you, and you will be the you you've always dreamt you'd be. But the Bible is not about that. The Bible is the Word of God revealing who He is so that you might know Him and have a relationship with Him. And as a result of that relationship, you will absolutely be changed. And you will absolutely live an abundant life beyond your imagination, but transformation is not the goal. The abundant life is not the goal. Jesus is. And all of that is a side effect of a relationship with Jesus. And I need to make that clear because too many of us have bought into this lie that Christianity is about performance and self-improvement. And it's an easy lie to fall into because after all, everything else in life seems to be about performance. In sports, we go to tryouts. We go to auditions in the arts. We go to job interviews in our professions. And in so many areas of our lives, if not all, we're constantly under pressure to qualify for a standard of success that society has agreed on. And so when we're young, we, we dream of that success. And in our adult years, we strive for that success. And then in our old age, so often we sit in bitterness and regret because we didn't quite achieve the standard of success. And sadly, this performance mentality of pursuing success has crept into the church. And really, it's not a problem when you're in top shape, at the peak of your Christian performance. It works out wonderfully when you are the personification of Christian success. You're killing it on the worship team. And now you're a leader and a host of of life groups, looking all holy. (laughs) And it works out wonderfully when, when you got married young, And holy because you kept yourself from marriage you were able to do that and and it works out well when now you're building that picture-perfect Christmas card family that the Bible describes and and now you're giving your tithe because because the Lord has blessed your business and has blessed your career and so and so you just want to give back to him and be generous to his house wow if God wants to build the kingdom of heaven on earth then he must be in heaven by now with a clipboard, putting your name on that list of best qualified Christians ready for service. But what happens when you're not quite so picture perfect? What happens when your performance doesn't add up to the measure of success that we the church so often idolize? We idolize this, this picture perfect, we idolize the standard of God and we're all striving to get there. What happens when your marriage falls apart and you feel like you failed because you couldn't keep that covenant? Maybe even more than once. What happens when instead of unity and love, your family is characterized by conflict, adultery, jealousy, depression, all of the above? What happens when you allow your flesh to guide your behavior and lead you to have sex outside of marriage or to take pleasure in pornography? What happens when you feel like an absolute failure because you mismanaged your finances and now you find yourself in debt? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. If what you believe is that God will choose you and call you and love you based on your performance... Then, when the reality of your sin hits, you will immediately cross your name off that clipboard that you imagine God holding, and you will settle to live a limited and fearful life filled with guilt, shame, and regret. You see, I highlighted some of the amazing points of Peter's life, but I skipped over his failures and his mistakes, and I think so many of you are reading the Bible that way. Where you see all the good things and you see all the amazing moments of Paul and Peter and so many of the apostles and men and women of God. You see the amazing ways God used them, but you skip over the failures and the mistakes and somehow you think it's only you. But I love Peter's story because it's raw and it's real. And it doesn't point to Peter, it points to faith in Jesus Christ that knows all about our flaws, our mistakes, our failures, and went to the cross so that you and I could live a life of freedom and purpose and power. The Bible says in John 5, truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word And believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Friends, it is the object of your faith that is the basis for your salvation. It is the object of your faith that is the basis of your salvation. It is Jesus. It is believing in Jesus. It's not about the performance of your faith. It's not about how big or how strong your faith is. It's not about how intense your faith is. It is about faith in Jesus Christ that saves. It is relationship with him. It is all about him and so not about you. It says in 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time. That tells me that that day when Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he calls Peter, that he knew all about Peter. He knew all about his failures. His failures and his mistakes were not a surprise to Jesus, but I think some of you are in here and you believe that your mistakes and your failures were a surprise to God. Like God had this plan where he was gonna use you, where he called you by name, and and he was gonna use you to impact people's lives and build the kingdom, and then you messed up. And you kind of ruined it all. And so now you're, you're like God's plan B. And you put yourself on the bench And you're involved, but not too involved. And you're available, but God's God's got better. He's going to use that other Christian over there that, that hasn't quite messed up as bad. That hasn't quite failed as bad. But please hear the word this morning. Jesus knew that Peter wouldn't understand so many of his teachings. And he knew that Peter would say the wrong things at the wrong time with the wrong motivations in his heart. And he knew that Peter would walk on water but that he would sink a few steps later. He knew that that Peter would resist Jesus. And he knew that Peter would commit the worst sin, that if relationship is the goal, that Peter would deny even knowing Jesus. But God is not surprised by our failures. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross for Peter. Like at Peter's lowest moment, where he just felt like he had thrown away three years of relationship. He'd thrown away his calling and his anointing. Where the Bible says that that he denies Jesus and then he goes away and he weeps Bitterly. He's just feeling absolutely worthless. In that lowest moment of Peter's life, Jesus is hanging on a cross for him. Jesus is paying the price, laying down his life for that sinner. Because he is worth it. Because you are worth it. Your sin and your failure is not a surprise to God, it is precisely what led Him to demonstrate His love for you by sending His Son to die on the cross so that you wouldn't have to measure up, but that you could be saved, called, and redeemed by faith alone. You are the one that He wants. With all of your imperfections, with all of your mistakes, with all of your flaws, you are the one He wants. You are the one he is calling because it's not about you or what you do. It is about God and who he is. Oh, but we get so caught up in our shame and our guilt because we were so sure that we would never fail that way. We would never stoop so low. We would never fall that way. Gabby, you don't understand. I I would never do that. And so... I did. So how can, how can God possibly use me? What a hypocrite. How could I possibly speak into other people's lives when that's what I did and, and that's what I struggle with even now? And, and you're okay with God using other people because it makes sense that God would use other people. You don't know about Dina's sin and the thoughts in his mind. You don't know about my sin and the thoughts in my mind and my past. And so, and so you're okay. No, they're probably good enough. God uses them. Or you're okay with with God using people like my dad, for example. If you don't know his story, Pastor Eddie, he he was into drugs and this kind of horrible lifestyle, and then God redeemed him and restored him. And so, no, no, God can use Pastor Eddie because his life had a happy ending. God God already restored him, and he has victory, and now he's sin-free and struggle-free, and so it makes sense. No, God can use him. But you, you haven't had your happy ending yet. You're still in the middle of your messy struggle. You, you can't get up here and give that clean testimony with a clean start, middle, and finish. And so, so God can't use you, and you feel so unqualified. Well, when Jesus was arrested, Peter failed to stand by his side, and he does what he thought he would never do. He denies him three times before the rooster crows, just as Jesus had predicted. Peter said that he would never do that. Peter said that he would never fail that bad. He would never fall that low. He says to Jesus emphatically in Matthew 26, he says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Listen to this, because self-righteousness is a killer. He compares himself to others in the room. He compares himself to these other disciples that are sitting there and in other words, he judges their character, their life circumstances, their faith, and promises Jesus, unlike everybody else, even if all these guys fall away, I will never do that. I would rather die before disowning you. Fast forward a few hours. The moment he hears the rooster crow, it becomes a soundtrack of his failure. Jesus might have wanted to use him before, but now. Now it's over. And maybe there's some things in your life that you never imagined that you would struggle with. There's some things that, some ways in which you failed that you thought others might do that. But I would never. And now you find yourself unable to turn back time. You can't rewind. You can't take it back. And there's this soundtrack playing in your mind of how unworthy you are. And not, not only are you unqualified, but you disqualified yourself. Well, the Bible says that Peter goes back to the life he knew. He denies Jesus, and, and, and Jesus has resurrected by now, and the Word says that, that he goes back to fishing, and we can't fully understand by the text if he was wrong for doing that. Maybe he was just actually trying to get food for everybody. But I can imagine that there was definitely a deep sorrow in him. In some versions of the Bible, in the NIV, for example, the the title of this passage, John 21, that we're about to read where Jesus has a conversation with Peter, in some Bibles it says, it has this title, Jesus reinstates Peter. Now that's, I think, a publisher's choice. I don't think that's necessarily God-inspired. But I thought this was so interesting, this title. I looked up the meaning of reinstate, and it means to restore someone or something to their former position or state. To restore someone to their former position or state, and I love that because it shows us that Peter had disqualified himself from his former position or state. In his mind, he was no longer as valuable, as loved, as precious, as useful, definitely not as called. But we serve a good God that is not surprised by our shortcomings and so he meets up with Peter to reinstate him into his former state, into his former position where he wants Peter to know, to to be sure of how much God loves him and how much God still wants to use him for his glory. So we read in John 21 that after his resurrection, Jesus shows up at the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are out fishing, Peter included. And Jesus calls out to them, and they haven't really recognized him yet. And Jesus calls out to them, hey, have you caught any fish? And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And so he says, just throw the nets on the other side. And they throw the nets on the other side. And next thing, they, they catch a ton of fish. They can barely pull in the nets. And then we read in verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. We skip to verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. is not, Peter, why did you do that? Jesus doesn't say, Peter, convince me of how sorry you are. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, promise me, Peter, that you're never going to do that again. Jesus doesn't say any of that. First thing he says is, Simon, do you love me more than these? I never noticed that. The first thing, the first question he has, he doesn't just say, Simon, do you love me? He says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Like the same guys that Peter had been comparing himself to. Thinking that he was so much better than them and that even if they all would fall away, he would never. And Jesus says, so now, Peter, you still think you love me more than them? And I don't, I don't think Jesus was asking Peter to literally compare his love I think he was deconstructing Peter's self-righteousness so that he would understand that his calling is not based on how good or devoted he is in comparison to others, but on how good God is. And that by his grace, we are all called to love and be loved by him. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus replaces that soundtrack with a new sound of his word. Jesus steps into the messy middle of Peter's story, into his sorrow, and he reminds him that it's not about performance. It is about relationship, and he calls him back into relationship. The same way that he did on the Sea of Galilee, where he just, he, he just taught Peter through that experience, just keep your eyes on me, listen to my word, listen to the sound of my voice, and I will use you to do the miraculous, to do incredible things. Friends, I'm not, I'm not preaching of my experience this morning. I'm not preaching of my opinions or, or the stories that I've been through. I'm giving you the word of God because he wants to step into your story. And whatever chapter you find yourself in, he wants to reinstate you. He wants to reinstate you into a position where you are so sure of how loved you are and how called you are and how much he wants you to replace that broken record that you have and give you a new soundtrack. I don't know what the sound of that rooster is in your life. I don't know the the things or the expectations that you had where you disappointed yourself or, or people around you that have said some things that have become the soundtrack. I don't know the sin that you committed, the mess that you made. I don't know what that is, but I know that God wants to replace it with a new sound. Where he's telling you even when you fail call on me and i will rescue you and i will redeem you and i will restore you and i will continue to use you to build my kingdom you will influence people's lives you will draw hearts and souls into relationship with their creator by my word you will pray healing over people and you will teach and you will preach and you will prophesy and you will comfort and you will lead and you will innovate And you will counsel and you will do great and mighty things for my glory. Jeremiah 18.4. It says, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Sometimes we allow some impurities into our hearts. We allow some pride, some selfishness, some self-righteousness. And sometimes God allows some trials in our lives. God allows some things in our lives to reshape us as a potter does to the clay. Do you know what failure does? It teaches us humility. Sometimes it takes brokenness for us to get a deeper understanding of grace. Oh, we were so good compared to everybody else. And even if they fail that way, and even if they sin that way, God, I would never And sometimes it takes failure and it takes brokenness for us to understand that you can take no credit for your life. That it is all about God and His faithfulness and His grace. That everything you have or ever hope to be in Christ is really of no credit to you. Failure gives you compassion and empathy for others and their struggles. Because when you look at their brokenness now, before you would judge and now you relate. And now you say, I understand I've been there. I understand I'm just as broken. I understand I'm just as flawed. I understand what you're feeling, that you failed and that you're unworthy. I've been there. But God loves us. And maybe God will use you to reinstate some people. And maybe God will use you to to reinstate some people into a former state where they know they are still just as called. They are still just as wanted. They are still just as loved. God loves a humble heart. And sometimes he allows some things in our lives for us to gain some humility. Because when he uses humble people, he gets the glory that he deserves. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians instead God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God is explicit in telling you that your past, present, and future mistakes don't disqualify you. That He chooses exactly the things that even in the church, we would think, no, that person... God will not use them. That person couldn't be a leader. That person couldn't be, couldn't be a, a volunteer in our teams. That person just doesn't know how to speak. That person doesn't know how to sing. That person doesn't have the right gifts. God uses precisely the things that we think would be disqualified to shame the wise and to get the glory that he deserves. God is explicit in telling us that we were unqualified to begin with. And let me tell you, it's not hypocrisy if God gets the credit. It's not hypocrisy for you to be an influence, for you to speak into other people's lives, for you to be a leader, if you give God the credit for everything that you are doing and all the impact that is had. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, well then, should we keep on sinning? So that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Should we just be apathetic to our struggles and then just give in? So that, so that God can just keep using me and, 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 and be glorified through his grace? No, Paul says, of course not. That's not what he's saying. In Galatians, he gives us an answer. He says, listen, what I am saying is Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Don't get tied up again in this performance-based Christianity where you have to measure up in order to be called and anointed. Maybe when you gave your life to Christ, it was so, it was so clear to you, wow, oh, I don't deserve this. And you gave your life to Christ and, and, and you started a relationship with Him. But as you started doing life and as you started to, to, to aim towards that Christian success standard, Some self-righteousness has entered your life and now you look, look at all that I've done and look at my family and look at my job. and, And when you fail, you get tied up again because you've allowed the world to convince you that it's about performance. And Paul says, don't get tied up again to that. Don't get tied up. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Make sure that you understand it was never about you, whether you think you're doing well or not. It is about the grace of God. It is about what God wants to do, his purposes and his plans. Paul, after he had seen what God had had done in his life, he was so passionate about grace. And Peter was so passionate about living for Christ with everything that he had because he knew What Jesus had done for him. Those conversations, that that conversation at that breakfast was so real for Peter of how much he had been redeemed and how much Jesus loved him. How broken he was but how much Jesus still could use him. That he writes to the persecuted church in the letters of first, second, and third. There's three. Quiz pastor. He's not paying attention. It's okay. Two. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. First and second Peter. Where he writes to the persecuted church, and he says, "It's all about God. It's all about Him. Just, just live for Him. Just give it up for Him. There's nothing you can hold back for Him." The Bible says in Psalm 145:14, "The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those beneath, bent beneath their loads." Maybe you'll feel like you've fallen. And I want to tell you today that Jesus can pick you up. I want to call the worship team. And we're going we're gonna to worship him now. And this song is just so powerful. To say, Jesus, just take it all. Jesus, here I am. I'm surrendered to you. Here I am. There's nothing I'm holding back from you. Even with my flaws. Even with my mistakes. Come with a humble heart before the Lord. And let him reinstate you. Don't allow yourself to live this limited life where you think your plan B for God now. And allow God to tell you what he thinks of you and what his plans are for your life. I'm not saying necessarily that you need to change anything today and you need to become a leader tomorrow and you need to. I'm saying you need to be available and you need to believe in what Jesus says about you and not what you say about you. I want to invite you to stand, church. Dear God, I pray that you continue to speak into our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you speak truth into our hearts. That no matter what we've done, no matter how unworthy we feel, that we will hear the word of God and have faith to believe the word of God. Lord, I pray that you will mobilize your church according to your will. This church that is broken and flawed, but that you love and that the righteousness of your son has covered with his blood. Lord, I pray that we will be reinstated into a position where we know how loved and how called we are. I don't know why you choose me I don't know why you choose us when we fall so short of your standard but I thank you that your grace didn't want heaven without us and so you came and you filled the gap and that while we were still sinners you died for us Lord, I pray that you will just take away the shackles, the chains that are limiting so many of us. And that we will step into the freedom that you have called us to, to live for you, to obey you, to do whatever you want of us. And may we give you all the credit. May we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.